Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm very proud to say that this episode of Macabre London is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com forward slash macabre London. Audible has over 180 titles to choose from, from your iPhone, Android, Kindle or MP3 player, and I'll be recommending one of those books later on in the show. In 1878, a tragedy occurred in London that was responsible for the death of over 650 people and the worst accident to have ever happened on the River Thames. Yet the occurrence has been largely forgotten by modern-day society. This time on Macabre London, we explore the sinking of the Princess Alice. London today is a bustling metropolis, an exciting place to visit and a somewhat safe place to call home. An eclectic mix of people from all over the world live in London, and the crime rate is dropping year on year. In some parts of this vibrant capital, the crime rate is lower than that of much smaller cities in other parts of the UK. However, things haven't always been so safe. Stories and tales of old have echoed around these streets and grown to become that of legend, particularly those of gruesome nature. Today we'll be exploring one of those stories and discovering about London's often bloody past. My name is Nikki Drews and this is Macabre London. London is divided by the longest river in the whole of England at 215 miles long. It's no wonder that over the centuries it's been used for a vital water source, a place to fish, a place to dispose of excrement and the old carcass or two. Trade of goods and shipping of precious cargoes, but also for leisure. Today the Thames sees all manner of activities carried out upon it. 
First and foremost, it's cleaned up its act and has gone from being pronounced biologically dead 50 years ago to now the cleanest river in a capital city. Which for a river which once smelt so bad that the government considered ditching the House of Lords for a more fragrant countryside abode is really saying something. The river now boasts some incredible wildlife from the famous eel of the jellied eel fame, otters, seals, seahorses and even the occasional pod of dolphins. The residents of London also drink it, after it's gone through several cleaning processes of course, and up until fairly recently it was legal to swim in. That's now not the case due to its tides, whirlpools and fast-moving currents, but that doesn't mean that plenty of people each year still brave a chilly dip, but the main activity is carried out on top of the water. Boats, ferries, canoes, floating cinemas and even a large floating wooden model of the city, which was then set alight to mark the 350th anniversary of the Great Fire of London, have all bobbed upon the water, and the river itself is still very much the main artery of the living being that is London. The river helps to transport over 5 million tonnes of freight goods each year, which helps to keep London's streets free, keeping the air clearer with the reduction of over 265,000 lorry journeys per year, which is pretty incredible. The Thames also provides the city with enough cooling water to prevent it from having a meltdown, quite literally. It provides water to help cool electricity stations which provide power for the whole of London, keeping the lights on and each home powered. But one thing the Thames has hosted upon it since the Romans first decided to settle here is leisure journeys. Party boats, restaurants and fast-moving rib boats all use and share the river with the big freight ships and stick to the very strict rules and the river itself is relatively accident-free. With the health and safety standards being so high there is much to be said for the way that the river's rules and regulations are managed, and it speaks volumes as to how busy the river is, as to how few incidents occur upon it. The same definitely can't be said for London's roads. The reason the rules are so well enforced are due to learning through trial by error, and unfortunately when rules change sometimes there can be issues afterwards. This was very much the case for the SS Princess Alice. A paddle steamer standing at 219.4 feet long, the Princess Alice was built in Greenock in Scotland and was originally called the P.S. Butte. In 1867 she was sold to Waterman's Steam Packet Company and sailed down to London where she began her work on the Thames as a leisure cruiser. She was sold a further two times, once to the Woolwich Steam Packet Company in 1870 and to the London Steamboat Company in 1875. In the 19th century, holidays abroad were a relatively new invention. Only the rich could afford to travel abroad, and without planes having yet been invented to a standard which didn't result in a fiery death on a regular basis, boats were the preferred choice. In 1819, the first ever steam-powered boat was sent across the Atlantic from Savannah in the USA to Liverpool in England. It took 29 days for the ship to cross the pond, and perhaps wisely, the large engines were treated with caution to prevent them overheating and potentially causing the boat to catch fire. In total, the ship only used the engines for about 12% of its journey. That's just three days and 12 hours in total. However, the journey was deemed a success and it paved the way for a whole new era of travel and the popularisation of the leisure cruise. 
This would eventually become the preferred method of holidaying for the upper classes, and those who couldn't afford to travel, even on the cheapest of tickets, would have to look to a less exotic version. Trips along the Thames became a popular alternative to the romantic long-haul cruises, and instead of ending up in America, a trip along the Thames could see you transported from the relatively smoggy and overpacked city centre to the leafy parks of Greenwich or the historic dockyards of Woolwich, which was a welcome escape for resident city dwellers, or those looking for a bit of fresh air. A booming trade in short leisure trips started to erupt with Londoners and also those visiting the Big Smoke. This may have had something to do with the complete renovation of the banks of the Thames. In the late 1860s, the modernisation of the Thames embankment was almost complete and required lighting, so that those wishing to take an after-dark stroll could see where they were going. After requesting design submissions from all the major architectural names in the country, the top designs were published in the Illustrated London News and the Builder magazine in March 1870. The designs included an incredibly ostentatious dolphin design by Villiarmi, who spotted a similar design in Rome and decided to use this as his inspiration. Villiarmi was responsible for already having helped with some of the other design work along the Thames riverbanks, such as the Egyptian-themed stylings of sphinxes and camels on benches. Another popular favourite was a simplistic classical design by Joseph Bazalgette, he of the newly renovated sewer system fame. His design was decorated with lion's feet and ornate foliage. The two designs proved to be the most popular and were both picked to become the designs that still sit on the banks of the Thames today. But some say that the competition wasn't 100% fair, as both designers had rather important ties to the company who was responsible for implementing the new designs. Villiarmi was the superintending architect to the Metropolitan Board of Works and Bazalgette was the board's chief engineer. With the Thames now overhauled, well-lit and a desirable location for an evening of entertainment, boat companies started to offer moonlit cruises along the river. The dark night sky full of stars, before the orange hum of electric light pollution of today, would have been a welcome evening pastime and return tickets were bought so people could stop off for a stroll at the other end of the journey to perhaps have some dinner or see friends and would then return back to their homes in the city. The Princess Alice was just one of these boats who decided to offer a nighttime cruise option to paying customers who could board the boat during the day, take a trip to the seaside, and return under the blanket of stars. That's if the smog was cleared enough for them to see them. The journey cost two shillings, that's around two pounds in today's money, and the boat left at 10am, returning into London at around 8pm. But as the normal wage for most people was just three shillings a week, these trips would be reserved for the middle classes, or the middling sort as they were known, as they would have a standard weekly wage of six shillings and upwards. The Princess Alice was a popular boat. Its size had a part to play in this, as it was big enough to transport over 700 people, which meant that the cost of trips was cheaper than some of the other boats running on the Thames. With outside lighting making it easier for after-dark pursuits, the Victorians wanted to make the most of the warm summer evenings, and headed to a well-loved but fairly new spot in Kent, Rocheville Gardens. 
Posheville Gardens was also a zoo and held some of the most beautifully kept gardens, festooned with twinkling lights where visitors could enjoy rowing on a boating lake, walking the length of the chalk white cliffs, and even go into a shell line grotto where canoodling could happen away from prying eyes. Understandably, it was a popular evening pastime, and the visitors who went to the gardens on the 3rd of September 1878 wouldn't have foreseen the horrors that were about to await them on their journey home. After collecting a number of passengers from the pier at Rothsay, the Princess Alice started to make its journey back into London. Nearing the next drop-off point at Woolwich Pier, it slowed to make its journey into the floating dock as gentle and smooth as it could be. Many passengers had made their way to the deck to be ready for the drop-off at Woolwich, meaning it was teeming with people ready to make an exit. As the passenger ship made its way across the water, the crew and passengers couldn't help but notice a very fast-moving coal steamer moving along on the wrong side of the river. The SS Bywell Castle had been out of service for a while as it was being repainted before it once again took to the waters to become a working collier ship. The 3rd of September was its first time back on the river after a long break and the ship was being driven by Captain Harrison, an experienced mariner who was not well versed in the Thames and the river pilot whose speciality was rivers, not the sea. As both boats came into view of each other, it was already too late. The ships tried to swerve out of the way of each other, but even with the engines in full reverse, the impending collision was already inevitable. Both Captain Grinstead of the Alice and Harrison of the Bywell incorrectly predicted what the other would do, and instead of steering the ships away from each other, they inadvertently made the collision much worse. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.
small boat shattered and splintered under the weight of the giant collier, and before anyone had a moment to try and escape, she started to sink, quickly. Within four minutes, she was completely submerged under the water of the murky Thames. Some lucky passengers were able to be rescued, and the Bywell managed to help haul in those that made it out of the wreckage. 69 people were rescued with the help of ropes, boats and lifebuoys, plus anything that would float that was hauled over the bow of the Bywell. The police also tried to assist, but at this time there was no real river police or lifeboats which could help. Instead, rowing boats were dispatched from Wapping, but the police rowing them were unable to get there in time to rescue anyone. Over the next week, the Thames became a mournful place. Over 650 bodies had to be removed from the ship, the riverbanks and fished out of the water. The ship itself, when dragged ashore by tugs, was a mess of wreckage and flesh. Bodies were found piled at the exits of the ship, and to add to the horror of the crash, the bodies were also noted to have been bathed in raw sewage, which had been let out into the river just a few hours before the collision, meaning the water was thick and heavy, which would explain why some couldn't swim away easily. Bodies were reported to rise out of the water and float along the river for the next nine days until the majority were recovered and passed to the local mortuaries to be identified or indeed sold to medical practitioners. One such mortuary along the edge of the Thames in Limehouse was said to have bought so many bodies that they barely had much space for them. Inside the mortuary, those that worked with the dead had their profession well honed. Being close to the Thames, the Limehouse mortuary would often receive bodies that had floated ashore of mariners, those who had used the water to commit suicide or the odd corpse from a murder or two. They had installed a special hanging hook where water-soaked bodies could be left to drain, allowing them to be better prepared for burial or for selling on to medical science. The thought of having several bodies hanging from hooks to drain can only be thought of as something from a horror movie, but for the Victorians, it was a practical solution to a very real problem. The unfortunate events of the crash did lead to fruition for others. Bodies were stolen and sold, and out of the 650 people recovered, 170 were unidentified, meaning that they would have also been sold. In the Victorian times, it was seen that a body couldn't be property if nobody owned it, so the rule of finders keepers very much applied when it came to human remains. It is not known if all of the bodies were found from the disaster, and it is believed that many are still either buried under the deep thick mud at the bottom of the river, were stolen from the water, or were simply lost as they were carried out to sea by the strong tides. A sad and unending torment for any of the families who may have been split by the tragedy, not knowing if their loved one would ever return. So how did 650 people come to lose their lives that evening, and what went so horribly wrong to cause the crash? A large-scale investigation was carried out at the time to get to the bottom of what happened. Sadly, Captain Grinstead died in the disaster, so he wasn't able to testify his version of events, but seemingly the incident was all down to the fault of the Bywell. The account of the crash from the Bywell, in the captain's log, read... The master and the pilot were on the upper bridge and the lookout on the topgallant forecastle. Light airs prevailed, the weather was little hazy. At 7.45 o'clock p.m., proceeded at half speed down Galleon's Reach. 
when about at the centre of the reach observed an excursion steamer coming up Barking Reach, showing her red and mast headlights. When we ported our helm to keep out toward Tripcot Point, the vessels neared, observed that the other steamer had ported her helm. Immediately afterward saw that she had starboarded her helm and was trying to cross our bows, showing her green light close under our port bow. Seeing that a collision was inevitable, we stopped our engines and reversed them at full speed. The two vessels came in collision, the bow of the Bywell Castle cutting into the other steamer with a dreadful crash. Those that worked on the Thames daily said that the Bywell didn't adhere to the rules of the river, and that using the water which was not affected by the tide, or working the slack as it was known, was a widely accepted way of, work of working the river from the south side. The river pilot directing Captain Harrison should have known this, and people were baffled as to why this was the case. The rumours began that when the collier had been in for repainting, that the river pilot and Harrison had both taken a break from their day-to-day -day jobs, and neither were aware that the use of the slack water practice had changed from the left to the right, but this seemed to be a vicious and finger-pointing attack on both the captain and the pilot without much proof to back it up. This rule also seemed to be an outdated rule of the river, as the Thames Conservancy changed the law in 1872, which quashed the port-to-port -port rule, which made the river a confusing place to navigate. The official inquest into the collision ruled that the Princess Alice was entirely at fault, as the captain had allowed more passengers on board than its official loading regulations had allowed. It was also ruled that the boat was under-provisioned with life-saving equipment and that it was understaffed. The coroner's inquest, which ran alongside the official inquest, also ruled that the Bywell hadn't slowed down or reversed quickly enough, but that the Alice wasn't meant to be crossing the river in the way that it did. The public weren't impressed by the ruling, and many still blamed the captain of the Bywell Castle for the disaster. As a result, Harrison became ill and never returned to the water. Once some time had passed after the disaster, the mass grave in which some of the unclaimed bodies were buried was memorialised. As the amount of bodies was so high, those who were unidentified and not stolen were placed into a mass grave in a Woolwich churchyard. People were very keen to have the dead remembered, and Victorians being very fond of funereal practices, a magazine ran a donation process to make sure a memorial was erected on the site of the grave. The memorial is still marked to this day by a large Celtic cross. There are a few reasons why the Princess Alice disaster was as horrendous as it was. We have to look to the socio-economic climate at the time, which tells us a few things. One simple reason why the death toll may have been so high was due to swimming not being common practice, and nor was it taught to children at school in the way it is today. Public baths were a fairly new concept, and a lot of them were used as what their name suggested, as baths. The low wages of most people also meant that swimming was a luxury that couldn't be afforded. Swimming wasn't encouraged at all, and was only reserved for men. It was frowned upon and deemed unnecessary for women and children. Another reason that the death toll may have been so high was that the rescue services and river police were not yet really established, and only manual craft were used for river rescues instead of steam, which was quicker and easier to use to get about on the river. 
We will never know for certain the real reason why the SS Bywell Castle and the Princess Alice collided that evening, and how processes hadn't been already put in place to make things safer for those travelling on board. We can learn from the incident, however, and continue to remember the lives that were lost and ruined as a result of the crash. Something which was gained from the incident was that the Thames and the boats that travel upon it were made much safer. Signage of how to use the river is situated along its stretch, and to make the river safer, an official marine body was set up to manage the way the river was used, and to monitor the craft that were used upon it. The marine police were developed into a specific force that operated from Wapping, where they're still situated to this day. They were also provided with steamboats, so that they could assist quickly with any other disasters that should occur. This disaster has now been mostly forgotten from London's history, but its legacy of safer practices upon the Thames is still a stark reminder that the river should be treated with caution and care. So even if this disaster has all but faded from memory, we still have the improvements to modern standards that it left behind, meaning that this largest disaster in history on the Thames wasn't all in vain. It's vital that those who are now part of the riverbed, or who went unclaimed, are remembered as part of the history of this great city, and that they stake their claim as part of macabre London. Thanks for listening to that episode of Macabre London. And now to announce the winner of the competition from our John Ellis episode. At the end of our Ellis episode, I offered listeners to get their hands on a copy of John Ellis's Diary of a Hangman book. Our winner is Matt Bacchus. Uh, I will spell that last name just in case I'm not pronouncing that right. That is B-A-C-C-H-U-S. I'll be in touch, Matt, about how you can claim your prize. Thanks to everyone who entered, we'll do another giveaway soon. As usual, please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. Every rating and review helps us to be found by other listeners. And if you subscribe, that means you won't miss an episode. Plus you'll be joining the Macabre family, which is getting bigger all the time, which is amazing. So thank you if you're part of the team. Please follow us on all our social media at Macabre London across Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. And don't forget to email me if you have any ideas for episodes. We'd love to hear them. Our email address is London at hotmail.com. Thanks for listening and we'll be back in your ears in a fortnight. See you then. Macabre London is hosted on Acast, written, performed and created by me, Nikki Drews, with additional script editing by Neil Murray. Hey Sasha. Hey Courtney. Where can you get hot takes about ghosts, cryptids, farts, and cats? I don't know. Where? On our podcast Spoop Hour. Oh, that's right. Each week we talk about the things that spook us out and we laugh through our fear. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Spoop Hour and you can listen to our podcast on iTunes, Podbean, or really anywhere else that you get your podcasts. Feel free to also drop us a line at spoophour at gmail.com. We want to hear about your ghosts. Thanks.
I'm Elisa Lucas from Best Forevers, a podcast for kindred spirits. I'd like to start a movement where we spend more time loving on our friends because although friends are important to us, they're often in the shadow of other relationships. So if you want to love on your friendships a little bit more, embrace friendship a little bit more, or just appreciate your friendships a little bit more, then this podcast is for you. We'll explore all the different ways friendships take place, share the amazing stories of friendship, and discuss best practices for the difficulties that friends may experience. It's time to embrace friendships because without our friends, who would we be? So check out Best Forever's on iTunes, Stitcher, and all the other podcasting listening venues. And be sure to follow Best Forever's pod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.